Next time we record, just bring the book up here with you. Okay. okay yeah. And like, like I said, if I just if I if I could just glance at like the paragraphs, I could read like the first half of the sentence and be like, okay, yeah. And like, you know what I mean? So the prologue, I'll just give you like the quick re- rehash. The prologue talks about um, uh, who wrote who who's actually the guy who wrote it. Oh, dude, his name is tough. Yeah. Um, him trying to get a hold of Sam Hinkie and Sam Hinkie's people, and they're all told not to talk to him, and Sam Hinkie like barely answers his questions anymore via text and he's told or he remembers like um something Sam Hickey said about Yarnin Witzman. Yarnin Witzman. Uh you should all Weitzman. Like, yeah, uh, Weitzman or Witzman. Weitzman? Oh, you're going straight. With the going German? German? That's a yeah. German name. <laughs> um yeah, you Hinky said something about you should all go have coffee with this guy. He's going to be like the next polymath. Or yeah, whatever. he put it in his resignation. Now letter. that guy's name I can't fucking remember, but it was like something normal, like yeah. brown or rice or something. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, and he was just kind of a weird eccentric guy. That was the prologue. The um, first chapter is all about the Allen Iverson era. Yeah. Second chapter, um, is about the buyouts. From Comcast to the current ownership, which that was all just a whole bunch of like I didn't like that in Victory Machine. It's like that shit's it's big money. I don't care. Yeah, uh, I guess that's fascinating. Third chapter is in this that the last one that we would do is about Hinky working with the Rockets and then eventually getting hired by the Sixers. Yeah. So there's your time. Cool. Yeah, and like also remember like the, the book even points it out um, <laughs> that he's got an afro. He's got a big uh, afro. He's wearing a pink oh, wait, polo. I think it stopped for some reason. The Philadelphia 76ers, basically from uh, Allen Iverson all the way till current day Philadelphia. So, uh, as I mentioned on the air whenever I was talking about this book the first time, is that you forget how much crazy stuff has happened in Philadelphia in 20 oh, years. Yeah. And, like, really quick because I know a lot of our listeners are probably predominantly Thunder fans or just Oklahoma sports fans, OU fans, OSU fans, or whatever. There's a lot of connections to Oklahoma in this book. So if you want to like buy the book and read along, not just because you're a gigantic NBA fan, but because you're interested in like Oklahoma sports trivia history stuff, yeah. there's a lot of big stuff in here. And the obvious thing is that Sam Hinkie is from Marlo, your hometown Oklahoma. of Marlowe, Oklahoma. Yeah, if you had the under one minute of me bringing up Marlo, Oklahoma on a podcast. You hit it. Congratulations. <laughs> yep, Chisholm brought it I up. I didn't even do Take it. Take a shot. I didn't even do it. Uh, yeah, so the general manager's <laughs> from my hometown, which is crazy. Again, town of 5,000 people, having an NBA general manager who revolutionized basketball and the way that front offices look at talent is pretty incredible. Yeah, and I'm not going to lie. Um, there's one part of the book in the, like, I think this podcast will be about the prologue in the first three chapters if you're wanting to get the book and read along with us. Um, there's one part where the writer is describing Sam Hinkie's childhood and how he was so obsessed with basketball and that he worked on his ball handling skills by dribbling up and down the streets of Marlowe all day long. And I'm just like, did Chisholm like read this and say, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go back home and go dribble up and down the streets like my hero Sam Hinkie. <laughs> Sam Hinkie spoke at my graduation. Oh really? Yeah. He was the general manager of the Sixers at the time. When did you graduate? Two thousand eleven. Uh, high school? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, he spoke at my graduation. Yeah, he had just been hired. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it and honest to God, I was like, hey, the, you know, this guy's the general manager of the Philadelphia 76ers. It was that summer. And I graduated 69 people. I bet 67 of them didn't give a rat's ass. <laughs> and I was like, you guys don't understand like what's like how far this guy has made it. Yeah. 
Like, imagine if this was a top 30 heart surgeon coming to talk to us. We'd all be like, what? Yeah. Or, you know, and uh, it was just not a big deal. And it, truthfully, there is a segment of Marlo, older, 20 years older than I am, that all know Sam Hinkie and all cheer for, pseudo cheer for the Sixers, just kind of on the outside of the Thunder, because they want Hinkie to be proven right. People my age, anytime I talk to anybody I graduate with, or they don't know that Sam Hinkie's from Marlo. Which I found fascinating. Yeah, and I'd always known Sam Higgy was from Oklahoma as I got to know you, and Marlowe became more and more in my uh, vernacular, I guess I Real, should say. Realm of consciousness. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, I, I drew the connections a little bit more, and like we've said on OKC82 on our weekly show a handful of times, Chisholm, how Oklahoma has such an underrated basketball Absolutely. story. Like, you don't think of Oklahoma as a basketball state, and there are reasons for that. Um, some of them fair, some of them not fair, but... If you really dug into the history of the sport of basketball, you will find a lot of people, a lot of very influential people, whether it be players, coaches, or minds like Sam Hinkie that had that put their mark on the game. And it, it's cool just to have that connection when you're reading, like flipping through the pages. But one thing that really did like hammer home to me, like what the hell am I doing with my life? Is um, and I I totally forgot about this as well. Um, Sam Hinkie. Uh, before he was the general manager of the uh, Philadelphia 76ers, was basically an assistant under Daryl Morey with the Rockets. He got that job in 2007 when he was 29. I'm 29 right now. What the hell am I doing with yeah. my life? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Like Sam had already, let's see, he had graduated from OU from Price Business School mm -hmm. uh, with honors, got got his bachelor's degree, um, while like volunteering for all these student groups, You know anything he can get his, uh, his hands on, basically. Um, he then eventually went to Stanford to get his uh, master's degree uh, with that for that education. And then he interned and kind of pseudo worked, but never got paid because they didn't have a spot for him under Charlie Casserly. I can't say his name correctly because my accent. Casserly. Uh, with the Washington Redskins, who is that the old guy who made a fool of himself recently? What yeah. did he say? Recently? Yeah. What did he say? Like, it was like, was it about Kyler Murray? Was no, it about I can't remember. It was about Baker Mayfield or Kyle Murray, but he got he he got exposed as being an old. But Sam worked for that guy and opened his eyes to like the analytics of the dra of the NFL draft and how like he, you can find a Pro Bowler like safety or linebacker like later in the NFL draft like statistics say. And that of course caught the eye of Daryl Morey, who comes from a much different background than other GMs that are classically hired. You know that are either former scouts, former players, former coaches. He is, of course, from MIT, has a mathematical brain, and has really spurned on the analytics revolution into the game of basketball. And Sam is a byproduct of that as well. So just drawing all those points, following that timeline that started in Marlowe, Oklahoma, then Norman, Oklahoma, where I went to school at OU, and then he became the process guy in Philadelphia. It's just incredible. Yeah. Um, I've had, I mean, lots of interactions with Sam over the years um, because I'm obsessed He's from my hometown, so any, I mean, I have no problem about, like, if I know he's in Marlowe, like, I bug him, and I make a point to go talk to him, and, like, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with when's being the, When's the water tower going to say home of Sam Hinkie? Never. It says when the Sixers win a title? It says, the, it says home of the pride of Marlowe, which is our marching band, and I don't know if we've done anything in our marching band. I didn't, <laughs> the water tower is a point of concern in Marlowe. Um, anyway, and I would tell you, one of the interactions I had with him was when I was a sophomore in college, maybe a junior. And I did what every sports fan said is, you know, Sam, I would love to work in basketball one day. You know, I, I would love that. And 
how do I do that? And I, I expected him to give me some like, well, here's the tricks of the trade, right? Here's some sage advice, Chisholm. Yeah. And he basically said, well, if you want to work in basketball, you will. And I said, what? And he said, hey, That's, bro. That is good advice, man. He, he, he basically, he just said, you know, the people who get those jobs are the ones who desperately want those jobs and refuse to give up on obtaining one of those jobs and will do anything to get one of those jobs. If you want to work in the front office of an NBA basketball team, that's you you can and you will. You just can't ever give up on it. Yeah, you, you can't you can't be afraid to annoy people. Right. Like I, I I have that problem even in this job and my job as a media member is sometimes to annoy people. Um, whether it's to like get questions, to get answers, to get some availability, to have somebody on a podcast. But at the same time, like the people that I have to ask, like I have to work with them on a daily basis, so I don't want to annoy them. So there are times where I struggle with that too, but that's that's really good advice. Yeah, and I mean, in, in this book, it outlines uh, some of the stuff that I already knew about Sam, and he talks about, at, he talked about this at our graduation, is that he sent handwritten letters to every general manager, every owner, and every team president of basketball and football every two months for like two years trying to I mean just so just constantly berating all of these people just trying to get a chance yeah and so I mean I think that's kind of inspiring as well and just for to meet all my Marlowe quota here there's a great story about Sam and then we can actually get to the book oh yes Sam was play basketball not the best player on his team unshockingly if you see a picture of him that's not going to blow your mind so wait real quick if he's 29 in 2007 when when he when we have graduated from high school in Marlowe so that would have been so eleven years, so ninety eight. So ninety eight. Okay, so this That's is me doing quick. He's math. mid to late nineties, high school, high school. Sam Hinkie. Yeah, okay. and Sam Hinkie was the starting point guard on the Marlowe High School basketball team, but not even where close to the best player. Yeah, um, he was just the point guard because John Paxson type, super, super <laughs> smart. Like could remember all the plays, and people just say that he was great about kind of getting guys in the right spot and getting people to the right set, reading the defense and being like, okay, so that means we need to run this play, and this guy needs to shoot it. Like that was what he was great at. Yeah. Uh, which is, again, unshocking. It obviously became the general manager of a basketball team. Well, there's a story that they had a... Marlowe one time in their entire existence had the leading score in the state. One one year, and that was Sam's senior year, and it was one of his teammates. Um, and this guy was, so I've been told, unstoppable, basically getting to the rim. And they made it to the state tournament that year, and it got down to the... It might have been the second round, but I think if I remember correctly, it was the first round of the state tournament. And Marlowe had never been to the state tournament before in men's basketball. And it got down to a single possession game. They were down by two. Marlowe was down by two. And everyone in the gym knew where the ball was going. Right? This guy who led the state in scoring. Mm-hmm. But the guy got into the huddle. And I'm not purposely not saying his name. Guy got into the huddle. And, Did he pull Scottie Pippen? And he said he didn't want to shoot. He pulled a Scottie Pippen! Well, no, well in some way. He, no, he was, the guy was terrified. Yeah. And didn't want to shoot. Because he didn't want to cost his team the game. Do you know who shot? Of course it was Sam Hinkie. Sam Hinkie did not care. Did was like, yeah, fine, that's fine. And he missed. And like that is a legendary story about Sam Hinkie because he was not bashful about it. He was not nervous about it. They say he acted the exact same way before, after, and during the shot. Is that he was just like it was just a part of the game and he just filled his role. But there oh, you go. Well, Sam Hinkie took a shot to win a state tournament game in Marlowe and Oklahoma high school basketball. Well, again, the the final line in chapter three, where we're ending off our, the reading for this episode, um, it talks about when he first was hired by the Sixers and spoke to the media. And, Has and it gotten fans. To, like his past yet? A little bit in chapter three, because um, uh, the first, the final line of chapter three, 
uh, is basically a quote from that press conference where he's talking to the media and the fans of, we don't really care about the outcome. We don't really talk about the outcome as much. We talk, talk about, about the, the process. process. Yeah. So, of course, you know, 18-year-old Sam Hinkie doesn't care about what happens with that shot. He yeah. only he only thought about, like, what did we do in the off season? What did we do in the regular season? What did we do all the way up until this point? Yeah. He didn't give a damn about the outcome. Yeah. Just doing what he knew to do right. All right, so the book opens up with the prologue of the, the writer uh, trying to try – Try to chase down Sam Hickey. And Yaren, and say you, you say his last name. Weitzman. You're convinced it, it's Weitzman. It, it looks like a German name. I'm going to uh, go with Weitzman. Because of the E and the I, you'd say I, so Weitzman or Weitzman. I'm going to say Weitzman because it's a W at the first letter. But uh, he works for Bleacher Report. He's uh, kind of covers the NBA as a whole. Uh, he's trying to track down Sam Hickey because he's writing this book. Now, first off, if you uh, follow Philadelphia media, this book was not well received by not only the Sixers but also the Sixers fan base because Weitzman does not cover the Sixers. This was an outsider writing about this team, and people were pretty pissed initially. That Which he was is interesting this book. because, like our 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 like similar situation would be Boomtown. Mm-hmm. Sam Anderson did not cover the Thunder. He he'd work for, he was working for the New York Times at the time. People, and Oklahomans were really skeptical of that book at the time. Yes. Uh, I remember, I think it was Kelly Ogle on News 9 where he said some of the conclusions are contrived, but I was like, I'm a native Oklahoman, and I loved everything in this book. Yeah. And even as someone who covers the Thunder and has to deal with you know, the people that cover the team every day who I have a good rapport with, and then sometimes we have to give up some space in the locker room because somebody from National or, like, from ESPN just flies in for, like, a week. Right. You know, it's kind of annoying. So even having said that, like, Sam Anderson's book, as an outsider, is great. And uh, I would... It's a fresh perspective, right? I would say for the Especially most part... they do the due diligence. Yeah, I would say for the most part, the media contingent here enjoy the book as well. Yeah. Especially those that were around the time, like Royce and Eric... Uh, Fred Katz no longer here, but everyone enjoys the book. But yeah, it's interesting because the way he sets it up in the prologue where he's like, um, nobody from the Sixers was allowed to say anything on the record to me, even though I was there every day as a credentialed member of the media. Mm-hmm. Um, no players, even players that I had professional relationships with that were very good that I'd talked to all the time could no longer talk to me in an official capacity about what I'm writing about. Um I'm like, well, he might as well have discovered the Thunder because <laughs> right. that sounds like my job every day. <laughs> right. <laughs> Except for they're holding from everybody meaningless game secrets, and the Sixers are trying not to like jackasses in a book. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Which I'm I'm sure that they do from what you've told me. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> so, uh, and so is trying to tra- track down Sam Hinkie was truthfully is kind of at the center of this book all the way through, um, and just kind of his revolutionary idea of how to run an NBA team. So he's going through this process. God bless. I, I'm going to say that, and it's not going to be on purpose. But uh, he's going through this, and he tracks down some of the same hinkies, you know, vouches for in a big way, and that's kind of the prologue. And it basically, all it is setting up is the background of Sam Hinkie's hard to get a hold of. The Sixers are holding everybody off, but I'm going to try to tell this story the best way I know how. Um, and the first chapter is over something I was not prepared for. I, Opening this book for the first time, I thought it was just going to be the process Sixers, as I think of them, which mm-hmm. is basically from when Hinky takes over till uh, into Jerry Colangelo is really what I would say it is. I don't really count Elton Brand, uh, but <laughs> it, when Jerry Colangelo takes over, <clears throat> it is not the case. It starts with Allen Iverson. Yes, which, when you take consideration that in the span of twenty years, they have been to the finals with Allen Iverson, and then everything that's happened this decade. Talk about a long, tragic history for Philadelphia, but it's setting up what led to the hiring of Sam Hinkie, which is something I'd not considered before. But 
Uh, can I tell us what, t- talk about what you kind of thought about the Allen Iverson chapter? And well, um, Chisholm, as as I know about you, you know you and I, we we both really like Bill Simmons's podcast, especially when Ryan Russillo is on. But I'm going to pull uh, I'm going to pull something from Ryan Russillo as a writer. I, wow. I I know exactly like the thought process of if I'm going to tell a story about the process 76 years and then a little bit of, you know, the Jerry Carlangelo uh, era as well. You have to really start from not just the beginning of the process. You have to go all the way back to set it up why we got there in the first place. And yeah, going down Allen Iverson memory lane is interesting because that was around the time that I started getting into basketball. Um, was at the tail end of Allen Iverson's prime when he was just scoring at will. Um, and as his legacy has aged, I have an opinion about it. I appreciate it. I think he's a really, really good all-timer of a basketball player. But it's really not that far-fetched to say, but he's just not a team-winning basketball-type player. Like that. Okay, that's fine. But even reading, I think he's kind of like Carmelo, right? Where he has the Carmelo. exact right team around him, and then you could probably be successful. But yeah, having a superstar that you have to build the exact right team is pretty tough. And I've made the connections to Russell just from the stamp because I think Russell, while he's not the most team-winning basketball player, he's more of a team-winning basketball player than Allen Iverson. I would give him that respect over AI. But I've drawn the comparison because Allen Iverson's game was trashed while he was in the league. Yeah, but it ages like wine because play. Fans are like, man, remember he was one of the real ones. He was great. We don't have those those types of players anymore in the league. Russ, that's gonna happen with Russ. Everyone that hates him now is going to like look back on all of his highlights. And go, God dang, I I lived through that and I didn't appreciate it. Yeah. So, um, but having said that, like going down the Allen Iverson memory lane, I think I told you on the radio on Monday, like it's just anxiety. Just him and Larry Brown hating each other. Allen Iverson just showing not going to practice. After spending a night out on South Beach, which South Beach nightlife is undefeated. Undefeated. Remains that way. And uh, like, yeah, I'm too hungover to get out of bed. Like, I just, I can't fathom that, like, with a Thunder player. Or an NBA player. Yeah, and I'm sure that it's happened with the Thunder because they're very good at hiding things and making sure things have um, a positive spin on them, I guess we should say. Um, I just can't fathom that happening right now. It's just... That whole first chapter about Alan Iverson, I was just like, hurry up and get out of this chapter. Like, I just, I can't do with, deal with this right now. <laughs> now, I was at a protest on Sunday. There's a pandemic going on. I don't want to worry about Alan Iverson wanting to kill Larry Brown and vice versa. Yeah. I would say the part that, that I just, I know, but I forget in the moment is not that Philadelphia tried to trade Alan Iverson. It ended up trading him is how many times they tried to and how far apart some of those trades are. You know what I mean? Like it's like they tried to trade him in 2004 I think for the first time. Yeah. And then like 2007 like it's like it's not like they were trying to trade him over the course of 3 months and got close a whole lot. It's over the course of years before they finally get the deal. That is what I you just with time passing you forget. Yeah. Is how long he was there and they were on and off of him constantly. Yeah, and that's kind of the point of the chapter is not so much about Allen Iverson, although he's just the big polarizing figure in it, but it's just to basically set the foundation for the the Sixers as an organization did not have a philosophy. Like, they would kind of like, well, we've got a superstar, so maybe we should go all, all in, but then he wouldn't play because he was either hurt or because he didn't want to practice that day or, or was too pissed off to even suit up for a game after he showed up like seven minutes late after tip off. Um, 
but at the same time, they still had talent, so they would win some games. So they'd be in that quote-unquote basketball purgatory of not being bad enough to get a Kevin Durant-type um, talent out of the draft, but also not good enough to get into the playoffs. Or if you are are in the playoffs, you're not really thought to make a deep run. And so, therefore, your fan participation, like fan attendance, is just at the bottom. And we're talking about Philadelphia here, which is a basketball city. Yeah. And that helps set the stage for well, what are we doing as an organization as the Sixers? We need to have a philosophy. And then that, of course, leads to Sam Hinkie, who is the definition of a GM with a philosophy. You're skipping over something that I also forgot had happened until I read this book. What was it? They traded for Andrew Bynum. Oh, yes. The bowling bowling incident. They cashed in (laughs) Andre Iguodala, a first-round pick. Like It's not like they just— Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday. No, Drew Holiday is a part of the Northern No, Vukovic. Vukovic. Yeah. Who they Nikola Vucevic is a part of that. Because uh, Doug Collins didn't like him. Yep. Yikes. And so they cash in a ton of assets. Again, it's not like they get this guy for a handful. They go all in on the Andrew Bynum train, and he doesn't play a game for them. Doesn't play one game in a Sixers uniform. And they trade, again, Andre Iguodala, who at the time was an all star. A first-round pick in Nikola Vucevic, who they just take it, and their first-round pick the following year that they had not had yet. Mo Harkless. Who ended up being Mo Harkless. Yeah. That's insane! Yeah. Um, God. Shout-out to bowling. Yeah, of course. The bowling incident is when um, he had been dealing with knee issues, went to Germany at the behest of Kobe Bryant, who'd also gone to Germany, had like this experimental knee procedure done. Uh, Kobe thought it'd be good for Andrew, so he went to Germany to go do it. And then he came back and then is eventually bowling at an event in Philadelphia and apparently re-injured his knee and then was unable to ever play a game for the Sixers ever again. Yeah, and he's also like the book does a good job of like pointing out like what Andrew Bynum looked like at the time when he's like talking to the media after he had hurt his knee bowling. Uh, He's got a big Afro pink polo on under a jacket and it just looked. Yeah, he ain't playing again. Yeah. And it's so it's so weird. But the NBA moves so fast like we know that covering and following the game how quickly Andrew Bynum went from one of the most feared athletically gifted players assumed to be the next wave of superstar yes he was 24 right and he was still like he was about to get his big contract extension like that's what he was like he got traded to Philly that offseason they signed him to one correct yeah um, Philly was like he's from the area so he kind of gave them an assurance that yeah I can be here for the long haul and remember Thunder fans Andrew Bynum's one of the large reasons why the Thunder ended up with Kendrick Perkins was because he was that imposing. Like the Thunder, they knew if they were going to go far into the playoffs and then eventually to a finals, they had to get through the Lakers. So that means you have to get through Pau Gasol and Andrew Bynum. So this was a guy that was more than moving the needle in the league and then just the absolute drop-off to, yeah, he's just not playing anymore. And then what the Sixers had to give up. So maybe that accelerated the same hinky experience because if the Sixers either stand pat with the guys that they had, you know, they would have been a nice little Eastern conference playoff team that could have developed into something nice with the guys they had, which is what they were for a handful of years. Yeah. Um, but they weren't going to, unless they drafted a superstar to go pair along with Andre Goddard. Cause I think as we saw his career play out, Iggy was never going to be the, the one he was always going to be a high end level two or a three at best, which is what sure. he became with the warriors. Um, if they had stood pat, they could have gone one direction, but probably a direction that most organizations take, classically were like okay we need to bottom out a little bit but then immediately get better or let's just build on this that we have and keep trying to keep going into more of a purgatory 
So because Andrew Bynum didn't work out, it just really opens the door for something so drastically different in Sam Hinkie to even take place in the first place. Right. So the final chapter of this book uh, that we were talking about today is chapter three is is the hiring process of Sam Hinkie. Yeah? Yeah. And so as you're mentioning there, the, there's a portion of this which you don't really find interesting, but I enjoy this kind of stuff, and I don't really know why because I think the owner's are this portion of the NBA that have such a huge impact on who wins and who loses, but we never, ever talk about. Mm -hmm. So I like hearing ownership stories because I'm like, okay, this makes sense. They're purchased. Uh, they're, they're bought by a new ownership group, and the first thing that ownership group does is they trade for Andrew Bynum, and they think it's this big moment, uh, and there's this great story about him at the press conference uh, you know, and having basically a grin from ear to ear, pumped about the direction of the team, and then he has this realization of like, oh, this isn't exactly what I thought it was going to be. And so they, they hard reset. And so it's almost because they had a quote-unquote basketball guy running the team to that they wanted to almost pivot 180 degrees the, right direc the other direction. And you see that all the time with coaching hires. Oh, this is a defensive-minded coach. He gets fired. They hire an offensive-minded coach. Yeah, The NFL does that in just hilarity constantly where they just are just going back and forth between, oh, this guy's a dictator. This guy's a best Players friend coach. with all the players. Yeah. They just whatever they just had they'll go with the opposite someone needs to hire a special teams minded coach see what happens that the giants <laughs> did this year <laughs> um and so you know there's that whole process in it, and it leads to sam hinkey who is a young uh at the time i don't know if he still is at the time he was the youngest general manager in nba history but he was coming at it from a totally different angle of what he wanted to do and he laid out that this is going to be a long-term plan this is not going to be an immediate turnaround. And then he's got some quote uh, that apparently won him the job in the book. I wish I could remember it verbatim. But he's asked about what his plan, and he goes, you know, the Sixers don't have any assets left. Yeah. The Sixers are basically barren in the cupboard. And the ownership was ownership was so taken back by the honesty of, you guys didn't just do this wrong. You did this about as poorly as you possibly could. Mm-hmm that that's apparently kind of what swayed them in the fact that he was blunt and he was up front and he was honest and kind of laid out his guidelines there. Yeah, and he even used the James Harden uh, trade as an example of like, well, how did how were the Rockets able to get the assets in order to make the James Harden trade happen? Because Thunder fans are rolling their eyes. Exactly. A lot of the philosophy is like, um, like in order to win championships, you have to have stars. Not just one, but you have to have multiple stars in a lot of cases. Yeah. Um, well... If you get, you have to get one first in order to possibly attract another one via, you know, free agency via a trade that could end up that player is like, no, I'd like to stay here for the long haul because I'm playing with this other superstar. Yeah, like you have to have that in tow. And he used the Rockets as an example because they had the assets of Kevin Martin, the first round pick that eventually became Stephen Adams and uh, Jeremy Lamb. Jeremy Lamb. And then wasn't Alex Sabrinas' draft pick a also? Second round pick as well. Second round pick that became Alex Sabrinas. So basically, it was just Steven Adams. But um, right. um, no, it's it's just interesting just because of what you were kind of talking about, how they were like, yeah, we have this ownership group. We've had this front office. We've got Doug Collins, who is a an old school, by the book, basketball guy. Yeah. All right, we're going to have to do something completely different. Yeah. We have to, to go that. off into the realm of, philosophy here and it, it's such a foreign concept for a GM to get up there and say this is a long-term deal because coaches front office people if they're hired they get three to five years that it's it's long term in some way shape or form but what Sam Hickey's talking about is even transcends three to five years and obviously it did in real time anyway as yeah. we know yeah uh it's just it's the right 
team with the right time. And again, I think what's so special about this book is that the ownership group is so, uh, I forget the main owner's name now at the time, uh, but he's a hedge fund owner, right? Mm. And so there's this whole laying out of who he is and basically the way this guy makes money is uh, realizing potential, making a purchase, finding a way to, uh, loophole makes it sound like a negative, but it kind of is what it is. <laughs> finding a way to turn a profit in a way that most people don't see. Yeah. And so it's because it's this, the, the owner making the final decision is a guy who's like, whatever the norm is, isn't working. We want to do the new thing. Yeah. That's how, that's how he's made money in every other business. That's probably the reason that Hinky got the job is because he has an owner looking for the next new thing mm-hmm. intuitively when in reality most NBA owners are not. Yeah. Analytics. Yeah, Analytics. that's that's new, right? Okay, there you go. That's the Marlowe Heavy Podcast. I'll try to keep the Marlowe <laughs> to a minimum. We should have recorded this in Marlowe. Are we not? Oh yeah. The listeners will never know. Ambiguity. What where would we where would we be recording if we were recording in Marlowe? Even though we are. Even though we are. Uh so like a diner. The Wright's Diner is dope. Very, very good. Uh, that's where I tell people to always eat. The famous place that maybe I've just eaten there too much is Giuseppe's, which is an Italian place. Is that Giuseppe's? Is that like the Eskimo Joe's chain that used to be in Stillwater that was the Italian restaurant mm-hmm. version? Of, okay. I was going to say. No, no, no. Where does Sam Hinkie eat when he comes back to town? His mom's outside, I assume. Oh, there you go. Mom still lives there. You're not like knocking on her door, are you? Is Sam home? No, but his gra- his mother and my grandmother are best friends, and so I get updates constantly. Boom, Chisholm with the the inside sources. I no like inside this. sources. I just get the. Uh, do you remember when Sam? Now you can turn off the podcast if you're not interested. Um, if do you remember when Sam became a? I forget what the word was, but, but an advisor for the Denver Broncos. Yes, it was like a six month strand. Uh I knew that story because it was in the national media. My grandmother, this again, this is just Marlowe, you know, small town. My grandmother called me like two days after that story broke. It's like, hey, I've got, I got some inside sources for you. <laughs> like, Thanks, grandma. Thanks. Oh, dang yeah. it. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't even tell her that I that I had learned about that on ESPN forty eight hours before. <laughs> but uh, there you go. All Give right, her. social media. So chapters four through seven. Yes. Four, five, six, seven. Yeah, four through seven next week. Yeah, let's do it. All right, sounds good. All right, Brady, appreciate it as always. Thank you.